Welcome to the Sherburn Podcast, and we start the new decade in the garden of the Eastbury Hotel with the owner, one of our best-known entrepreneurs. His global interests have included shipping companies, the oil business, developing luxury hotels and resorts, and leading a British challenge for the America's Cup, only losing in the final race. He was once chairman of Millwall Football Club. He is Peter DeSavery, who's personally supervised the complete refurbishment of the Eastbury since he acquired the hotel two years ago. Almost two years. Why did you buy the Eastbury Hotel? Well, I didn't mean to buy the hotel at all. Um, and if it had just come uh, across my desk as a, a hotel in a, in a, in a country town, I, I wouldn't have been interested. But when I saw it was in Sherbourne, which I've known most of my life, um, I, I thought, well, that's one of the, one of the really lovely West Country towns. Uh, and um, it's a Georgian-listed building. Uh, it says it's got a nice, lovely garden, and that in the middle of Sherborne uh, struck me as being exciting to a degree. So uh, I thought nothing lost by driving down there, so I had a nice drive down the 303. Fortunately, I didn't get stuck at Stonehenge, so I was in a good mood when I got here. And um, the minute I came here, I could see the potential, uh, the location, the scope of opportunity, uh, and the fact that it could be a, a significant sort of hub in uh, in Sherborne, being probably the, it is, I think, the only hotel in Sherborne, um, excited me, and uh, and I fell in love, and uh, hence uh, two years this late February, uh, we will have owned it, and we spent that time completely refurbishing the hotel, uh, working very hard on the gardens. Um, and uh, making alterations, additions, and so there's a whole new look, Eastbury, and um, our ambition is to be recognized as a truly five-star, boutique, luxury, chic, uh, hideaway, bolt hole, as GQ called it the other day, um, in, in, in Sherborne. And, uh, what did you find when you got here? Well, I found, I found a, a typical two bordering on three-star uh, somewhat run-down hotel with somewhat uh, um, indifferent uh, uh, service and facilities. Uh, it served a purpose, but it was a, a, a much lower end of the market. Um, it needed a, a lot of refurbishment in terms of electrics and heating and decor and furnishings. Uh, it needed to have some additions. I could see it needed to have a spa a characterful spa which we've now built in the woodlands at the end of the garden which is probably unique in the country as to the style and type of spa that it is. Um, and we added uh, what we call Victorian potting sheds, five of them in the garden uh, which are really lovely uh, suites each with a private terrace but in a theme of an old Victorian potting shed so they're, they're, they're quite characterful. Um, and we've changed the whole furnishing and look of the hotel and we brought everything up to uh, almost as though it had been completely uh, uh, redone when it was originally as it was when it was originally built. So uh, uh, hopefully people like it and enjoy it. Um, we've one thing left to do, uh, which is we have planning permission to build a tree house in uh, one of the trees, which will be another bedroom suite with a nice sitting area and a balcony in the garden. And um, there's some people like the idea of a, a tree house to, for the weekend. And uh, um, so I think we've nearly done our job. 
Uh, and now we've got to get the word out there and we've got to get people coming and talking about it and the word of mouth and uh, uh, talking to you helps. Uh, uh, and we're featuring A, on hotel accommodation, people coming to stay, <coughs> but also our restaurant called Seasons Restaurant is very much uh, uh, also aimed at, at local people who'd like to come out, have an elegant dinner, have a nice lunch, uh, come and have enjoy the gardens in the summer, some alfresco dining, have a drink. Um, so a mixture of people staying in the hotel and local people coming to enjoy it. And, um, and so far, I'm very pleased with the way it's going. We've had quite a busy Christmas. We've got quite a nice uh, New Year party going. So the reception's been good. So the proof of the pudding, as they say, is in the eating. So uh, we'll see this coming year uh, how much people enjoy it and, and how that affects the business that we can uh, generate. But you, you sound like you're very much hands-on. Well, I, 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 I am very much hands-on um, and uh, I think there's too little of that these days in the industry. The hotels, lovely hotels, have become owned by corporate entities, by groups of investors, by hedge funds, I don't know what, who basically look first at the bottom line and worry about service and standards and, and quirkiness and uh, all the niceties that make a great hotel or a great restaurant. Uh, whereas previ previously in the past, hotels were basically owned by families and the great hotels and the great hoteliers were, were families. Uh, so we're a family and uh, I have six hotels in the UK and, and one in the Caribbean in Grenada and I'm very hands-on um, uh, and I enjoy doing it and, and, and I mingle with the guests and listen to the guests, talk to the guests, hopefully amuse and humour them sometimes. Um, but we're dedicated to entertaining people. We're in show business. We're, we're, we're merely actors on a stage, all of us. E e even the, the lady doing the housekeeping and the man doing the pot washing, we've all got a part to play and we've got to play the role out uh, when the show's on. Uh, and the show's on 365 days of the year. Um, but it's a service business and we're, we're proud and we like doing it and, and we love it when people say we really enjoyed our stay or that was a really lovely meal. Um, we're, we're like actors on the stage. We, we, we want to amuse people and please them and give them good value for money. We're not cheap, uh, but then we like to think we're the best and we're certainly trying to be the best. Um, and uh, as I say, the, the, the result is, uh, is in uh, what, 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 what your guests say and uh, do they come back and do they tell their friends? Uh, hopefully, yes. Uh, we've been very successful up to now in this business. I've been in it for since 1976 when I built my first hotel in, uh, in Egypt uh, and all of them have been successful uh, and still are successful. Um, so um, I'm, I'm optimistic that the Eastbury is going to be a little hidden gem, uh, we say in the countryside but in the middle of Sherbourne, so uh, you could be anywhere. Is this a long-term project for you? Is it just something you're going to acquire, you've acquired, you're going to change, and then sell on? Uh, I don't have that intention at all. Um, you know, I'm now 75 years old, and uh, these are quite uh, ball-breaking projects. They're always risky, uh, and when you're a bit younger, uh, you don't see it that way. As you get older, I don't know whether you get a little more frightened or you just get a little wiser but um, uh, taking things on from scratch, totally changing them, 
is, is, is quite stressful, and I think I've reached the age where I now rather keep the things I enjoy, and I only have hotels that I enjoy. So, for example, this festive period, I've taken a two-day break with my wife. I could, I'm lucky enough, I could have gone anywhere. I could have gone to Paris for the weekend, for a weekend. I could have uh, done anything I wanted, but I didn't because I actually wanted to come to the Eastbury uh, and enjoy it as a guest for a couple of days. Because up to now when I'm here, I'm busy working, meeting, organizing, doing things. So I chose to come here and we've had a lovely couple of days, really enjoyed the spa, enjoyed the food, read books, enjoyed the garden, been into town, gone to the Castle Garden Center. Um, we've just had a lovely 48 hours. So no, I think this is a, for me a keeper. Um, this is a uh, this is a special place and I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in Sherbourne and be a part of Sherbourne and I hope we make a, a good positive contribution within the community. So Peter de Savary is slowing down? Uh, well, I'm probably still quite fast by most people's standards but by my, my, my standards I think I am slowing down, I'll have to admit, somewhat. But I've not yet come to a grinding halt. Do you still, are you still looking out for opportunities? Do you, do you ever stop doing that? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I can't resist it. It's like an addict. You know, if you've been your whole life addicted to looking out and finding opportunities where you can improve things, change things, create things, um, it's very hard to get off that, that drug. Uh, so uh, when, I, when I see an opportunity, um, I'm still interested and I hope I'll continue to be interested because that's what excites me. Um, but I think I've just got a little wiser from experience of being able to assess uh, reasonably quickly whether it's an opportunity that I'm going to really enjoy doing. Um, it's not just about is it going to be financially successful and beneficial. Will I really enjoy doing it? Will it be fun? Um, do I feel I'm creating and, and contributing something? Um, uh, and and where is it? I, I don't want to be running all over the world anymore. So yes, I'm still open for suitable opportunities, but I get a little more risk averse as I get older. The sort of reward risk ratio swings a bit uh, as you as you learn from your mistakes, so to speak. We're on the threshold of a, of a new decade. The uh, the roaring twenties they're already being called, um, and we're on the threshold of. of leaving the European Union. Is, is that an opportunity? I think it's a huge opportunity, uh, an absolutely enormous opportunity, to be frank, to be able to, um, to deal with the, the rest of the world in wh whatever form of activity you're engaged in, all and everything, um, without the, the, the sort of restrictions and controls and shackles of 27 or 28 other countries being the EU represents an enormous opportunity for for everybody in this country, whether you're a domestic producer or you're an exporter. Um, I think it's a very exciting time that's going to come up, so I'm all for it. I'm totally in favor of it. Um, uh, I'm basically anti-bureaucracy, and there's lots of that when you're in the EU, so we'll be free of that. Uh, hopefully our government will relax bureaucracy and uh, uh, be stimulating this opportunity. And one has to remember that Europe's kind of a matured market. Europe is not a big growth market. 
Europe's everybody's got a car in Europe. Everybody's got a TV. They've probably got two or three. They, they've got all they need. They're, they're, it's a mature market, so it's not a growing, expanding market. Whereas there are con other countries in the world where they don't yet have all these services and all these facilities, and they represent the great opportunity of the future. That's where the growth is. So. Uh, if, 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 you're, if you're trying to keep your own economy growing each year, you have to trade also with growth markets, not just mature markets. And so I think it's, I think it's very exciting and uh, I think uh, the whole project fear business of it all has been grossly exaggerated and, uh, and, and, and I, I, don't believe, uh, uh, I don't believe at all we're going to suffer. Uh, negative effects of going into Brexit in the next decade at all. I don't believe that. There'll be a few bumps and hiccups, but anything that's worth achieving in life always has bumps and hiccups. You deal with them, you get over them. Uh, but the notion that we'll have no medicine and there'll be trucks queuing from Dover to London is complete bullshit. Uh, it doesn't happen. Common sense, commercial reality in the end tends to prevail. So yeah, I'm excited about it. You're an optimist. I was born an optimist, yes, so uh, I'm, I'm always optimistic, but I'm realistic too, so I'm, a, I'm certainly an optimist. And you know Donald Trump? I do, yes. A force for good in the world? Um, yes, I think you may, uh, you may uh, have issues with his language sometimes and, and, and sometimes with his methodology, uh, and, and, and you, 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 you may have some issues with with, with, with some of his attitudes, but the fact of the matter is he's been a man who's, uh, who's been extremely successful uh, and very competent uh, in, in, in his business life. Um, he's, he's very much a family man as well. Uh, he's a generous man and um, he, he has proven uh, during his presidency uh, so far uh, that he has made some very clever, very good, very beneficial decisions. Uh, and he has taken seriously uh, and feared uh, in the right way uh, by other would-be strong people um, that he's a man to be reckoned with and, um, and, and, and he's clever. And I think uh, his handling of North Korea, the Chinese, the Russians, uh, the Middle East situation, the U.S. economy, uh, on many fronts, the Mexican border issue. I think on many fronts, his policies have uh, so far shown that they were correct and they were bold. And, and I, I suspect uh, at the end of this tenure, later next year, um, the electorate will, will look and say, well, how are we doing? What's it feel like being an American in America? And, and I suspect they'll, uh, they'll feel pretty good, and I suspect, therefore, they'll vote him in again. Um, um, because I think his, the results of his, of his actions so far have been, have been pretty good. I'm, I'm a slightly miffed and, and don't quite get where he's coming from on the climate change thing, uh, other than the fact that um, I think he has a long-term strategy on it that at the end of the day, America's probably got to be the biggest provider of money and, and force and effort for climate change. They've got to become the leader, um, but uh, he doesn't want it to be like NATO, 
where they're the leader and they're providing the force and the energy and the money, but the others who benefit haven't been contributing at all fairly. And he felt the same about the Paris uh, Accord. So I think he's trying to manoeuvre into a position where everybody else takes it really seriously and realises they've got to pay their share, they've got to take all the right action. And then I think at that point, uh, in his mind, he would come in as, a, as the President of America, as, as a sort of driving force and leader and the biggest instigator and provider for all that. So I think he's playing a long game, um, uh, because anything other than that, uh, I, I wouldn't understand. Do you think climate change is the biggest issue facing the hospitality industry? Uh, for the hospitality industry, um, probably not. Probably not. Um, the, 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 We're not the, all going to stop flying where we want to fly no, or no. travel where we want to travel. Well, no. Well, if everybody stopped flying, it would be great for UK hotels and resorts. I mean, then then we all would be full all, all the time. So, no, I don't, I don't think that's going to, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think that the, the tourist industry has lots of challenges. Uh, normally the costs are rising all the time um, and, and, and that just contributes to inflation because then the hotels and restaurants will put their money up. So I think that somehow somebody's got to figure out a way to keep that under control. Um, but climbing cha climate change is a major worry for everybody, whether you're in the hospitality business or not. I mean, it's, it's not very complicated. You know, we're causing the world to get hotter. That's a fact. It, it's not a view. It's a fact. And when you make the world get hotter and you emit all these gases and everything, um, you affect the climate. And uh, whether it's uh, losing trillions of tons of ice, which then have a all sorts of negative effects or, or polluting the air. It's all really bad news and it's got to be uh, got under control, no question about it. But it'll only be radical action. This sort of nibbling at the fringes with silly little ideas is not going to do it at all. It's going to have to have a massive cultural change and you're going to have to make it a global effort. It's no good Europe getting together and saying we're going to do this. What about the rest of the world, China, India? Um, you, you're going to have to get everybody together. So we're probably going to need a few more unpleasant shocks. These fires in Australia are a little shock for everybody. Uh, we probably need some bigger shocks and more of them. Uh, and then hopefully the, the world will, will pull together and say, OK, we've we, we got to really do something about this. Bringing it back to, to the Eastbury, uh, your guests mainly going to come from the UK then, or, or are you looking for an international? No, we 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 obviously predominantly they're UK guests, uh, but we are very much looking at an international market. We are looking at US guests, uh, European guests, uh, Chinese guests, Japanese guests, guests from anywhere. So it makes for a much nicer atmosphere in the hotel and and, and the restaurant when you have. Uh, when you have people of different backgrounds, different cultures, different nationalities staying. It, it's more interesting for everybody. And we, we don't run this like a normal hotel. I regard this as one of my homes. So I, I don't regard it as, look at it as a business hotel as such. Obviously we look at the business, of course, but, but I regard it as a home. I have personal things here, I have some of my art collection here. Uh, and, and we try to treat the guests as though they're house guests in a lovely place and we want them to feel as though they're house guests. We want to try to 
get rid of the feeling I'm in a hotel or I'm in a restaurant. We, we want them to feel they're staying in, in somebody's lovely private place and uh, and I'm here enough at the time to, to say hello and meet guests and uh, uh, try to encourage all my staff to act in that manner that they've got their friends coming to stay and, and feel that about people. So so it's different and, and, and the international side is important and, uh, and we're working hard on that. Do you think people know enough about Dorset as a, as a destination? Do you think it gets overlooked as, as a place on the map that you speed past on the way to Devon or Cornwall? Well, that is a fact. It, it, it's exactly a fact. I mean, I think last year approaching half a million visitors came to Dorset and I think Devon and Cornwall was about four million. So there's a huge difference between half a million and four million. Uh, so yeah, everybody's missing out on Dorset. Most people don't know about Dorset if they have heard of it. Uh, they don't realize how beautiful it is, how attractive it is, how nice the villages are, the coastline. Uh, I think it's one of the great undiscovered uh, areas of the UK, to be quite honest with you. Um, is that a bad thing or a good thing? Well, you can argue it both ways. It's a good thing because it makes it a lot nicer for people to come here uh, than go to Devon or Cornwall, for example, or, or go to the Lake District, because this is this is not crowded, this is not busy. It's uh, uh, it, it's much more unspoilt in that sense. So so that's an attraction. On the other hand, it's much harder work to get your customers because now you're not just got to sell the Eastbury, you've also got to sell Sherborne, and you've also got to sell Dorset. Whereas if you're in Rock, Cornwall you don't have to sell Cornwall at all, you don't have to sell rock at all, you've just got to sell your hotel or your restaurant or your shop, whatever it is, there. We have to have three marketing initiatives which are all somewhat different uh, as opposed to being in Devon and Cornwall where you only have to have one marketing initiative which is your particular property, uh, that's it. You know, if you're on Dartmoor in Devon, you don't have to sell Dartmoor or Devon, you just sell Bobby Castle, which I used to own, um, but um, but here this is the hardest job of all because we've got three things to get across to the marketplace, uh, so they come and enjoy it. Now, finally, you've 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 had a, a, an extraordinary career in that you've owned shipping companies, you've um, led an America's Cup challenge, you've uh, owned a football club. You, you've run big developments around the world, Caribbean, and now a hotel in in Sherburne. What what do you do you dwell on that? What what you, would you like to be remembered most for, or haven't you yet done it? Well, I'm hoping I've still got one big thrill to come. Uh, I'm slightly running out of time, but um, it's never too late. Um, I always remember that. Andrew Carnegie's greatest successes from his point of view came in his later life um, so so there's, there's, there's still plenty of time for me hopefully um, I, I suppose I'd like to be remembered for what I enjoy doing most which simply is recognizing an opportunity seeing something that's lost its way lost its purpose uh, and needs to be rekindled, brought alive, uh, and brought back to something that contributes and, and, and is meaningful within society uh, and will stand the test of time going forward. So I'm very creative uh, and, 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 and so I hope people remember that whatever I 
got involved with, I left it much better and healthier than I found it. I've actually done something positive and constructive that's worthwhile, meaningful, creates jobs, preserves things that should be preserved that are important bits of heritage, um, and, 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 and people will remember that uh, I was good news, not bad news. Peter de Sabri, thank you very much. Thank you. The Sherpa Podcast is a Red Mike production for Brooklyn Media. You can download all our previous episodes from your favourite podcast app and watch out for more from the Sherbin Podcast in 2020.